Good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to all of you who have joined us here in church this morning. It's a blessing that we can be here together to worship God. I also want to welcome those of you who are visiting with us this morning. And we're really thankful that for some of us who can't be here in the building this morning, that you can join us via the live stream. Welcome. It's our prayer that we'd all be comforted and encouraged this morning by the preaching of the gospel, and that God would be praised and glorified by our worship. Consist as the following announcements. You're reminded of the wedding of Brother David Bolhos and Sister Shimon Spiker, scheduled for this Saturday, the 3rd of September at 12pm in the Free Reformed Church of Darling Downs. We've also received an attestation for Dathan and Katrina Plater from the Providence Canadian Reformed Church in Hamilton. Welcome, Dathan and Katrina, to our congregation. And everyone's invited to join us after church for a coffee social that will be held. And this morning's service will be led by Reverend Stephen Tahart. Before we start this worship service, let's sing together from hymn 84. We'll sing verse 1 and 4. Please rise and let's begin our worship together. As we gather together for worship this morning, we are coming into the presence of our holy God, and so let us lift up our hearts unto the Lord. We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. And receive God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the, the, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing again. This time we're going to sing together from uh, a book of praise from Psalm 84. Psalm 84 stanzas 1 and 2. Your hands I see 
how lovely is your habitation, your just happened to overhear one of our younger um, people here just uh, exclaim with delight that he knows that one of Psalm 84, which is a wonderful thing to hear because isn't it such a blessing that we have that we are the, the family of God, the community of God, as older and younger together in worship here this morning and together that we can also praise the Lord together. And this is right um, because indeed God has made a covenant with us. He's, he's made, established a relationship where he says, I'm your God and you are my people. And he hasn't just said that to us as adults. He said that includes your children as well. I think, for example, of what the Lord had promised to Abram long ago when he said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And this is one of those, those core values here in Southern River Church to recognize that our children are God's children, that they are here and that they also must hear the word of God, the law of God, and certainly the gospel of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Lord already had said to, concerning um, Abram in, in Genesis chapter 18, uh, he said, uh, Abram will surely become a great and mighty nation. The nation of the earth shall be blessed in him. He says, I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing justice and righteousness so that the Lord may bring Abram to Abram what he has promised him. And what God had promised Abram was that he would establish that relationship, that covenant with him and with his children, and he'd bring them into the promised land. 400 years later, the Lord fulfilled that promise, that initial promise to Abram, I should say, when he brought his people out of Egypt and, and led them into the promised land. And as he was doing that, and as God was leading them into the promised land, they stopped for a while at a mountain called Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God gave his law, the Ten Commandments. This was a law that was not only for the adults, 
But Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is uh, God's, the retelling of the law just after Deuteronomy 5, uh, the instruction is, is that this is indeed a law which is to be taught also to our children. Because indeed this is how we live in covenant with God. So let's listen to God's law again this morning, thinking about what it means to have that relationship with him for us as adults, as parents, and also for our children and our grandchildren who are in church with us today. As we do so, uh, not only will we be reminded of the privilege of being in covenant with God, but we'll also be reminded also of how we fail to keep God's law as we ought. And then we realize that this isn't the Ten Commandments for us to uh, somehow... uh, make our way, climb our way up to heaven or to be accepted by God because of our goodness. Uh, The law of God teaches us we can't. It drives us to Christ, that we might seek forgiveness in him. But then being forgiven in Christ, we are also renewed by God's Holy Spirit. And we're going to want to live with God. And we're going to want to do these things more and more for us and for our family as well. So let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Ten Commandments. This is what the Lord said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So far the reading from God's law this morning. Uh, Let's respond to this and we'll sing together from our book of praise and we'll sing Psalm 42, Psalm 42, stanza 5.
Well, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord God in heaven, even the little sparrow found a place to rest and to nest uh, beside your altar in your house, in the temple, back in Jerusalem, the time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even they found a home there. And the psalmist used this as an illustration of your graciousness and of your mercy and also of the wideness of your covenant, the breadth of your covenant love for your people. That there is indeed a place for each of us. That none of us needs to go through life with the fear that, that there's something about us that causes you to say, no, you're, you're not worthy. But that each of us can come to you and we can seek you through your son, Jesus Christ, knowing that ultimately it was because he was worthy and because what he has done in coming to this earth and in dying the death that we could never die, to pay for sin, that in that sense, the unworthiness of each of us can be, can be covered in him and so that we can be received by grace into favor. And Father, we praise you for this. We've heard again from your law and we have been reminded through this also of our own weakness, our own sin and of our own failures. But we're also taught something else and that is of your grace, of your mercy, and of your steadfast covenant love, and your commitment to those promises you made to Abram so many years ago. A commitment that you will be our God and that we will be your people. And we praise you for this. Indeed, it wasn't because any of us are more worthy. It's not because any of us can say, yeah, I come from the right family or from the right lineage or, or from the right place or, or I just happen to know more. It is simply because of your grace. And Father, we thank you that in your mercy, you not only give us a place in your house, but you also provide space in your house for our children. And so we do pray that our children also may be nurtured in this faith, they may grow in this, that they may be taught your law and your ways to know what it means to live with you, but that they may also then learn what it means to embrace Christ as their Savior. And so we do pray for your blessing upon the education they receive in the homes, in our Christian schools, also that which is done here with the ministry in this church through Bible teaching, through catechism instruction. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that our children also then May, may confess Christ as their saviour and also take great delight in being in your house. We thank you that you brought us again here this morning and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll bless us as we gather together for worship. We thank you for those of you brought here perhaps also for the first time or who are new here in Southern River Church. Father, we also pray that they with us may, may be blessed by this time of worship that your Holy Spirit will speak to them as your Holy Spirit speaks to us through your word, through the preaching, and that we may grow in our knowledge and grow in our love, and that all praise may go to you.
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In my own congregation in, in Melville, I've been going through a series of sermons. I'm doing a series of sermons on the first letter of Timothy. And I recently preached in 1 Timothy 4. So I thought I'd like to share this uh, sermon with you today. Because it really just uh, calls us to, yeah, to really consider what it means to, to grow in, in godliness and to train ourselves for godliness also. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, and we're going to read together from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, Timothy was a, a relatively young man, um, and he was uh, one of the disciples of the Apostle Paul. In other words, the Apostle Paul had, had taught him uh, the way of the truth after he had come to know about God himself, Timothy had from his own mother and his own grandmother. And then Timothy had been sent by Paul to go to one of the churches where Paul had been previously. And this was the church of Ephesus. Ephesus is in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And, and this church at Ephesus, they had been instructed in the truth, but there were was, was some concerns. Already in Acts chapter 20, when Paul had met with the, um, the, the leaders of Ephesus, he had spoken of his great concern that, that fierce wolves would come amongst them, that there would be those who would drag them away from the pureness of the gospel message and get them to, uh, the people to actually start following other things. And that's exactly what started to happen. And this is why Timothy was sent there to correct things and also to direct people back to the pure uh, Christian faith of, of salvation by grace in Christ alone. We're going to take up the reading of this letter in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read this together. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Verse 6. If you, remember Paul's talking to Timothy here, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by some prophecy, by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thus far the reading from God's holy word. May we be indeed strengthened by his reading, this reading. 
Uh, before we go into the preaching of God's word, and I'll be, I won't be reading from 1 Timothy 4 again, but let's sing together from hymn 82, hymn 82 stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Please keep First uh, Timothy chapter 4 close at hand uh, so you can refer back to that uh, through the, the preaching of this, this Bible pas- passage. Well, 
Well, brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, it seems like it was a long time ago, but it was actually just at the beginning of this month that the Commonwealth Games uh, wrapped up in Birmingham in England. Uh, as I guess we, we expect nowadays, Australia did pretty well. It wasn't our biggest medal haul uh, ever, uh, but we did, we did better than any other country. We got more uh, medals at the Commonwealth Games even than, than England itself, and, and really that's, that's really all that matters for us. But we especially, as we can expect, we especially did well in the swimming pool. Now we can grow somewhat nonchalant about these games and about these gold medals, and I dare say that for most, if not all of you who follow the games, you've already forgotten a great deal of those who, who won those gold medals and also just how many medals were brought home. Uh, for the record, Australia got 67 golds and 178 medals in total. But imagine if it was you. Imagine if you were the one who was up there on that podium, uh, preferably the middle podium, the highest podium. And hopefully you're there with your support team, with your parents, your family members, your closest friends, and you're all there to enjoy that moment with you. How would you feel? I know how I'd feel. Well, I think I know how I'd feel anyway. I I think I'd be proud of my achievement. I think I'd be really thankful that I made it. And I think I'd be just that, a little bit overwhelmed. You see, the thing that I'd been working for, the thing that I'd strived for, the thing that I'd been living for, it's paid off. I made it and I've won. And here I am on the top podium, feeling the adulation of the world as I, as I hold up my medal. Gold for Australia and gold for me. And do you know why I think I'd feel that way? I think I'd feel that way because of, because of what it takes to win gold. Take a swimmer, for example. For years, a swimmer will be training in the pool twice a day, six days a week, and often starting as early as 4 a.m., and then there's a the training out of the pool. There's the, the weights, the running, the squats, the, the lunges, the pilates. But it's not just that. The, the diet needs attention as well. As swimmers, they're encouraged to eat about four to seven times in the day with the right type of carbohydrates, the right amount of protein, as well as cutting back on those foods which will slow them down. And with so much focus, so much focus on both your diet and your training, Therefore, in swimming at the Commonwealth Games, the Olympics, it's not just an event. Just to get to those, to, to those Commonwealth Games, this has been your life. And although, although training and diet have become more exact, and a more exact science over the years, sportsmen and sportswomen have always focused on these things as they trained for their respective sport. 
In the Greek and the Roman world of Paul's day, athletes, they would maintain a strict diet and exercise regime to be the best at the sport and so that they could win this crown. And the athletes were just as passionate and fixed on this in those days as they are now. It did so much so that the Apostle Paul uses this as an illustration comparing the diet and the exercise for physical sport to the exercise and diet required for our life of godliness. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. I'll just read that to you. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? And so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I, I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should become disqualified. And it's the same picture that Paul has in mind when he instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse, verse 7. Second half. Train yourself for godliness. Train for godliness. Give it all you've got. Be trained in the words of faith and in the good doctrine, verse 6, and be trained through your godly life and your conduct, verse 12. And then verse 15 and 16, Paul underlines the importance of what is instructed Timothy. And he says this, he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. But it's not just Timothy who should do that. I have to do this as well as a pastor. Your own pastor, Dirk Poppy, he needs to do this as well as your pastor. Your elders need to do this. Your deacons need to do this. And so do you. But as is the case with the athlete or the Commonwealth Games swimmer who exercises self-control in all things, it takes the right diet and it takes persistent training to grow in godliness. And so that's my theme for this morning sermon. It takes the right diet and persistent training to grow in godliness. Two points then, the right diet, and later on we'll talk, learn about persistent training. Well, I've been on a bit of a diet myself over the last few weeks. Uh, my eating habits haven't been the best lately. I've had a bit of brain fog. My cholesterol's up a little bit. I found I've needed to, to sleep a bit too much, just taking these little cat naps during the day. And so I've been joining my family who've uh, dragged me into going through some sort of a detox. And so for the last three weeks, I've had pretty much no caffeine, uh, no alcohol, no potato chips, no processed foods hardly. I've given up my crackers, my cheese. At the moment, I've even just cut right back to almost no gluten and no dairy. And instead, as a family, we've been tucking into to fresh fruits and fresh veggies, brown rice, quinoa. I think that's how you pronounce that funny food anyway. 
and, and we've been limiting our fats and our, our meat portions as well. It's been quite the journey and it's been quite the month for me. Um, I knew my, my eating, my drinking habits weren't too good, but I didn't realize just how not good they were until I stopped. For the first few days, I, I missed my coffee and my head ached and I felt pretty horrible. I don't think I've ever had a hangover, but, but if I did and that's what it feels like, I'm, I would never want to have one. My body had become accustomed to, to poor eating habits and a sudden change to healthy eating, it's been a shock to my system. I'm starting to feel a bit better and, and I trust that by the time this month is over, I'll be better for it and I'll be in a place to re-establish a bit of a healthier diet. But this got me thinking, however. It got me thinking about our spiritual diet and about my spiritual diet. We live in an amazing age. We live in an amazing age where we can actually have at our fingertips so much information and so many things to consume. We've got our podcasts and we've got our books, we've got our blogs, we've got our websites that we can just pick and whip out our phone and we can just check these things out. And, and many of us do. But what are we consuming? What are you reading? What do you listen to? And of course, there are many books and podcasts that are excellent for the soul. At other times, however, it might not be so good. It might not be entirely bad. It might not be classified as heresy. But it might not be quite so good either. And it's especially not good when the things we read or the things that we listen to, when they, when they just nudge us or, just, or even try to turn us away from the, from the pure message of the gospel. You see, this is the situation that was in the, in the church of Ephesus, uh, where Timothy was the pastor, when Paul wrote these letters to him. Uh, Paul had already written about this, especially in chapter 1, but now he goes back to this, this problem of false teaching in, in chapter 4. They didn't have their podcasts, they didn't have their, their, their online stuff, obviously, but they did have people in their own community who were starting to, to spout and give different teachings and so forth, which were unhelpful. Verse 1 to 3. Chapter 4, i read this again. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving. Now, if you read through this, you see this, of course, is, not, is more than just a little error. This is more than just a wrong emphasis or even uh, just a little bit wrong in one aspect of the worship. What Paul is describing here is, is pretty much full-blown heresy, total false teaching. But it, it didn't start there. This is where things were going and this is also why it says in the later days, the later times, this is where it's going to end up. But it's not as if everybody in the church of Ephesus were following these things, nor that all the teaching had got to that stage. 
And it certainly didn't get there overnight. Uh, back in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, it says, it says that certain persons, that they, they desired to be teachers of the law. But they didn't understand what they were saying or the things that, about which they were making confident assertions. This is chapter 1 verse 7. And so what had happened in, in this church is that they ended up speculating about things. And they began to devote themselves to what Paul calls myths and genealogies. Uh, this resulted in them wandering, he said, into vain discussions and, and just really going down rabbit holes and, and, and hearing about things and, and focusing on matters which, which really wasn't the pure gospel. They weren't learning about Jesus and being saved in him anymore, but they were, they were actually going down and, and having all sorts of strange stories in their ears about different genealogies and things which were not even in the Bible anymore. got to the point that they were teaching a different doctrine. And chapter 6 verse 3 says, a different doctrine that did not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Now, this may or may not have been deliberate on the side of those peddling these false doctrines. But I want you to think for a moment if you were one of those members of the church at Ephesus and you started to hear these things and first you heard a little bit, oh, that's interesting and oh, I'm not too sure what to think about this. And then you hear a bit more and then you start to just, just get sucked in to some of the stuff which is being said here. I think it would be doubtful that the members of the church at Ephesus, that they realized how much their spiritual diet had changed. How far they drifted from the truth. But this is serious. And this is why Paul instructs uh, Timothy in chapter 4 verse 7 where he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. But rather, as Paul had written a verse earlier in chapter, in chapter 4 verse 6, he was to be a, a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and in the good doctrine that you have followed. And good doctrine requires a good diet. Verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Verse 15. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And so what Paul is saying here to Timothy is saying, be zealous in your ministry. Be careful what you teach. Because not only does your salvation depend on this, but also the salvation of those to whom you're ministering. Now I just want to just go back a little bit to what we just heard here at the end of verse 16. And, and just to comment a bit further, where he says you persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Maybe when you read that you thought, oh, that sounds unusual. What does it mean? That is Paul now going to save his hearers? But of course, no, of course he can't do that. I can't save you. And Paul couldn't save those either. Timothy couldn't save them either. So what does this mean? Well, we know first of all that God alone saves us. He saves us through the suffering and death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John Calvin wrote about this. Uh, he, in his, his commentary, he said, 
our salvation is the gift of God since it comes from him alone and is effected only by his power so that he alone is its author, right? God saves no one else. Our, our faith is that we believe by faith alone, in grace alone, in Christ alone. But then John Calvin continues, and I'll quote from his, uh, his commentary. He says, this does not exclude the ministry of men, nor does it deny that ministry may be the means of salvation. For it is on that ministry that, as Paul says elsewhere, the welfare of the church depends. So what that means is this. We're saved by believing in Jesus Christ. We're saved by the work of God through his Holy Spirit. But the way in which God works that salvation in us is through what we're happening and experiencing here in church this morning. Through reading the scriptures together and through having it preached and through having servants of the Lord declare these things to us. This is how God works repentance and faith in our hearts. But now you've got to understand, if the, if the preacher is standing here in the pulpit is going to preach the wrong things, if he's going to take you down all sorts of garden paths, and he's going to go in and have all sorts of funny stories about things which actually are not even in the Bible, and if he's going to direct you down this way, you're going to suffer. Your diet is going to take a hit. And so Paul says to Timothy, you need to be nourished in the faith, Timothy, and in the words of faith and the good doctrine. You need to have the good diet. You need to eat the right food and drink the right drink, so to speak. That's the spiritual food of God's word. And you need to be hungry for the truth and from the pure milk of God's word. And then this is what you need to do to teach others these things. And so where does it all begin? Verse 16. Keep a close watch. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching and persist in this. Timothy is the pastor of this church in Ephesus. For him to be a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, he needs to be trained in righteousness, in the words of faith. He needs to be trained in the good doctrine that is followed. He needs to study and to practice what God's word says. Timothy had to feed on the truth of the gospel for himself first and then he could feed others. If Timothy's not nourished, he cannot nourish others. Because a preacher doesn't just simply get up in the pulpit and say a few truths and give some inf interesting information. I'm not here to spout my own ideas. Your pastor isn't either. No, every preacher is called to preach the gospel. But here's the rub. I can't preach the gospel. Your pastor, Dirk, can't preach the gospel. When God willing, you're going to hear uh, Dathan also preach from here over the next year. He can't preach the gospel either unless we know the gospel, unless we believe the gospel, and unless we live out of the gospel. And really, it's the same for your elders and your deacons too. Now, now I don't mean to say that that, that the preacher's perfect, that he's got everything right, that he's free from sin. That is most certainly not true for myself. I know that and I feel that and I experience that daily. I wish my faith was stronger. I wish that my knowledge was deeper. And I wish that my holiness was greater. Ministers and elders and deacons, we're jars of clay. 
as Paul says elsewhere in his letters to the Corinthians. We're like jars of clay. We're cracked pots at the end of the day. Weak instruments in the hands of an almighty God. But what we are called to confess and what we are called to live by and what we are called to teach and to preach is the power of God for salvation and to everyone who believes. Let me read that from, from verse 10 of chapter 4. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Or as I think we can put this more clearly, who is the Savior of all people, that is, of those who believe. So we need to labor at it. We need to work at it. We need to hold fast to the doctrine, to the true teaching of the gospel. We believe it. We live it. We reject the things that do not agree with God's word. But in doing this, we hold on to and we're nourished by and we confess the truth that we have a Savior. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But if you believe in Jesus, you will have everlasting life. Now, this, it's absolutely important that we've got this teaching right. Because this is a matter of life and death. No, not physical life and death, but of spiritual life and death. We're not playing games here in Southern River Church. We're not just up here to spout some things that we'd like to have just to kind of get us into some sort of a warm, fuzzy community. But we're actually handling the words of life, of eternal life. And you see, this is why, why right doctrine, why right teaching is so important because it's the doctrine of salvation for everyone who believes. And that's why for all of us here in Southern River Church, preaching and teaching and right preaching and teaching, it's so important to us. This is why we need to be very careful. So like, who's going to preach here on Sundays? We, we're pretty fussy about that here in, in, here in Southern River. And, and I think rightly so. This is also why you want to see stronger Bible study groups. Why you love to see more and more people getting together to, to, to learn from God's word. And this is also why we teach our children and why we, we teach catechism and, and doctrine to teenagers. This is why when people are new to a faith, and, and for those of you also new here to Southern River Church, why you're invited very quickly to, to join a group or to meet one-on-one -on -one with somebody to, to learn more deeply the, the things of God and, and, and the, the, the teachings of Holy Scripture. And this is also the reason why we keep emphasizing the need for a consistent diet. To get together every Sunday, even twice a Sunday, to, so that you can get that good and a steady diet of the, the preaching and the teaching of God's Holy Word. And so that you, you're, you're nourished and you're strengthened with the right things and so you can go through the rest of the week, equipped and, and, and able to carry on. And that's the spiritual diet that we also have then during the rest of the week. That needs to be equally nutritious. It needs to be equally good for the soul. If you're going to, to, to come to church here on, on Sunday morning and you're going to hear from God's holy word and you're going to hear and receive a good diet from your pastor and then you're just going to go off and, and consume or even not consume, whatever you like in the rest of the week. You realize that really you are seeking to undo that which you've learned here. We can't have that. And that's why we all need to be committed to the right diet, to, to the right 
uh, preaching and to right teaching and to grow in these things. And I trust that you'll agree with this and that you'll join myself, your pastor here, your elders and your deacons with a commitment to that right diet. Brings me to my second point, and that is persistent training. Well, when I began the sermon, I was speaking a little bit about, about athletes and, and, and uh, about their, their diet that they needed to, to consume, to eat, to drink the right things, to be able to play their best. And, and, and Paul says that Timothy needs to do the same. He needs to be well fed with the word of God so that he could feed others. But it's not just the right diet, the right teaching that Timothy was concerned about. There's also what Paul is talking about here with respect to, to persistent training. This is what it says in verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. This is also why it says in verse 7. Train yourself for godliness. This word train, it's, it's an important one. Uh, training is not simply a matter of, of praying to the Lord to make you more godly and then going on with your life as if nothing happened. But as you pray for godliness, you're, you're praying that the Holy Spirit will help you to work at being more godly and indeed to grow in this more and more. Uh, the word train here in verse 7, or as other Bible translations have, to exercise yourself in godliness. Uh, this, refers, this, this word refers first of all to, to physical exertion to bodily exercise. It, it comes from the same Greek word as, as, as our word gymnasium comes from. It's the word used to, to, to describe the physical training that athletes need to do to compete at the sport. As such, it's, it's rigorous. It, it's hard work. To exercise yourself towards godliness, it requires, great, it requires ongoing dedication. It requires concentrated energy. You see, Paul's not simply telling Timothy to, to pray to the Lord for godliness and that this will be the end of the matter. No, Timothy is called to, to strive to be godly. To train himself for godliness. He is to strive for godliness in the same way that a sportsman and sportswomen, they, they strive to excel at their sport until they gain the prize. And the rest of 1 Timothy chapter 4, it it gives us some guidance just how we are to train ourselves for godliness, what the Lord requires of us. And, and I want to direct attention particularly to verse 12. And, and I'd like to read this and, and spend a bit of time in this, this verse. Chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth. I'll just leave it to the side. But, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and impurity. Let's just, let's just unpack that for a moment so we can have a better understanding of, of what this godliness is all about. First of all, godliness is to be seen in your speech, in what you say, and in how you say it. Although your love for God calls you to defend the truth of the gospel, sometimes even to strongly defend it, you will not be quarrelsome but you will speak the truth in love with words seasoned with the grace of God. What you say then is going to be saturated in prayer. Prayer in which you're going to be pleading for the Holy Spirit to guide you in all your thoughts and in all your words. 
The second thing here, being godly will also be seen in your conduct. That's in how you're going to live your life. And the reason for that is because godliness is living before God's face. Godliness is placing God at the center of every activity and every endeavor. Godliness is indeed to live before God when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're at play, when you're at church, when you're at school. And godliness is also there to be considered in the things that we think, the things that we say, and in all the things that we do. Godliness comes from a God-centered and a gospel-centered life. Now contrast it just for a moment to the to the lifestyle of these false teachers that Paul's referring to in 1 Timothy. There's, you can see that in chapter 4, verse 1, 1 to 4. The false teaching that was being taught in Ephesus was leading to the wrong living, and actually from earlier in this, in this letter. Uh, wrong living to, to lying. Uh, chapter 2 also speaks about to doing away with the God-ordained roles of, for both men and women. It led them to forbidding marriage. It led them to forbidding the eating of certain foods. And so that was a consequence of this ungodliness. But Paul says, but not you, Timothy. No, that's not for you and that's not for me. If you're being trained in the words of faith, living in the truth of the gospel of salvation and the new life in Jesus Christ, that needs to be seen in your conduct because you're going to be lived differently. And this is something also for us to recognize then. Sometimes we can maybe just get a little bit too, 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 too tired of, of, of hearing that, that emphasis on, on, on right teaching. What it means to be reformed, if I can use those sorts of, that sort of language. But now we need to recognize that, that what we actually have here in church and what we actually confess together, this is going to affect the way we live our lives. Well, at least it has to. And this is also then why it's so important to see then that, that indeed what we receive, the teaching we receive, it really has to be the right thing and so that we might also seek to live out of that. That's the only way we're going to be godly. Okay, back to this verse again, uh, verse 12. Third thing there. So let no one despise your youth. Set their beliefs an example in speech, in conduct, and then also in love. That means you're to grow in love for each other, in love for your fellow members here in Southern River. What it means is you're going to care for each other, you're going to be present with each other. You're going to look out for one another. And you're not only going to look out for people here in Southern River Church, but you're going to have a love for others. Yes, also a, a love for those in your neighborhood, a love for your city, and a love for the world. Actually, uh, chapter 2, uh, there's a call that we need to make prayers for all people because God desires that all might come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Well, how are we going to be praying for our nation? How are we going to be praying for our, our elected um, Government, how are we going to be praying for our next door neighbors if, if we don't love them? We need to do that. We need to have a love and a desire and an earnest yearning that they with us might grow and to know the gospel and to believe it. Okay, next in verse 12. Also, training godliness with respect to your faith. Uh, this would refer to your faith in God, 
And I think also in this case, also your faithfulness to him. And then finally, this verse, you're going to train yourself in godly purity. You notice there's a bit of overlap in these words. And godly purity is very similar to godliness. We must be pure in every way. Our motives of our heart must be sincere. And godly purity must also then mean bodily purity. Be men and women of integrity. He's going to get back to this again in chapter 5. Be men and women of integrity. Practice godly discipline in what you think and in what you dream about, in what you look at, in what you say, in what you do, and in how you treat your brothers and sisters in the faith and those also in your community. All right, and so that's what it means to, to persistently to train yourself in godliness, or at least it's a, it's just a start. Uh, the scriptures, of course, have much more to say. But even as you train yourself, you will be confronted once more with your weakness, with the weakness of your human flesh, your inability to do that which is truly good. And then what are you going to do? Well, this in turn must drive us to our knees in prayer, imploring the Lord once again for his grace and the Holy Spirit, and God will give you his grace, and he will guide you in it, and he will give you his Holy Spirit to comfort you, to convict you, and to train you. And the chief way that the Holy Spirit trains you to a life of increasing godliness is through his word. And so take God's word. Read it. Timothy must do this as the pastor of Ephesus. I must do this as the pastor of my church in Melville. Your pastor must do the same as the pastor here in Southern River. And you, as members of Christ Church here in Southern River, you must do this as well. Read God's Word. Study it. Meditate on it. And most certainly come here to church and have it, hear it preached. In this way, may our lives be saturated, not only with the, the reading of God's words, but may, also, may we also seek to, to live in it and through it and to be nourished in the word and to hold on to the doctrines of grace because that's what's required of us, that the church of God might be trained in godliness, might take hold of the true doctrine, the true gospel of salvation, Jesus Christ, and might live out of the truth in everything. And all of God's children, all Christians must live and train themselves in this way. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a child of God. You see, Christians don't just believe the gospel. Christians are changed by the gospel. True Christians are godly. And so how is it with you? What's your diet like? What do you do for exercise? What spiritual food are you eating? How much are you consuming? How, do you, how are you doing with respect to your spiritual exercises and your commitment to true godliness? Do you need some help in this? If you do, contact your pastor. 
your elder, just let them know. They'll be more than pleased to, to catch up with you and to sit down and to help you along this journey. And if you know of anybody else who might need some help, and quite frankly, who of us don't need help, then try connecting with them. Go out for a coffee. Uh, decaf for me, or maybe a tea now. Urge one another to a life of godly living. Because while bodily training is of some value, verse 8 says, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And this saying, Paul goes on to say in verse 9, this saying is trustworthy, it's deserving of full acceptance, and therefore believe it and be fired. Amen. Well, let's uh, respond from this and sing from a book of praise from Psalm 119, stanzas 5 and 6. We'll be coming to the Lord in prayer and asking him for his blessing upon us also with respect to our spiritual diet and exercise. 
There's a few other things also within the congregation and, and more broadly that we'll be, we'll be praying for. Uh, within, Church, uh, sorry, within Southern River Church itself, um, we're praying for our brother John Mahoney, uh, who's uh, been in hospital and uh, medical staff are just trying to diagnose the, the cause of his declining health and we'll pray for him. Uh, we'll pray for uh, the moons for Julian and Mary, uh, particularly since uh, Mary's his father uh, passed away in, in Ireland uh, this past week as well. And, uh, we, we grieve with them at the, the loss of their father. And we'll ask also for God's blessing over Ben Winnings. Uh, he's having a gallbladder operation surgery, I'm told, here this afternoon. I'm not sure whether he's had it or whether that's this afternoon. Um, but uh, indeed, it's around this time. And then we'll also we'll be praying for uh, our sister churches in Indonesia. Uh, they're having a number of different synods going on. And uh, we do have uh, some of our own deputies who are attending those synods uh, there's a first of a provincial one in, in Sumba, uh, which is uh, taking place uh, at, at the moment as well. We'll ask the Lord's blessing for that. And also for the, um, the Calvinist Reformed Churches, the GGRC in Timor, um, who are also having a synod uh, at this time as well. Then we'll also pray for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, they have their convocation, uh, which means the, the beginning of a, of a new school year for them. Um, I, I gather that's also this week, and there'll also be the graduation ceremony for uh, the various people who've graduated. Also, those uh, from our Australian churches were there this, uh, this year, including uh, Rodney Dumbois, who's accepted the call to Darling Downs, uh, to Anson Van Dolden, who's accepted the call to Lagana in Tasmania, and our own uh, Dathan Plater as well. Uh, let's pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, Sometimes it's not until we, we stop eating and drinking uh, the things that we put into our bodies that we realize that they're not doing us any good. And sometimes it's the same, but with greater consequences when it comes to our spiritual diet or our lack of spiritual exercise. Father, just as we don't want to have a heart attack or a serious illness before we've woken up to what we're eating and drinking physically. So we plead that we might not end up in such a serious spiritual state with respect to our souls. But grant our Heavenly Father that we may be nourished and fed by the living word of the gospel that we may train our souls for godliness that we may live in covenant with you and that we may do this more and more Lord for those amongst us who've really been slipping in these things who've just stopped being so uh, determined to, to be here in church on, on Sundays as the call to be. Who just haven't really taken the day and ensured that they would have time morning and evening and even in between for the opening of your word, for the reading and the listening to it, for praying to you. And for those amongst us who've sort of become rather lax when it comes to digging more deeply into your word. And Father, 
It's probably most of us. We pray, Lord, that, that we will take note of what we've heard this morning. And that we will plead with you and wrestle with you that we may grow in, in knowledge of you and, and receiving this diet and this, this training. And that we may grow in godliness and in our love for you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we also pray that as a congregation, as a community, that we may also look to others as well. And that we may be a support for one another as well, because you tell us not to neglect the coming together. Because we need one another as we journey onwards. And so, Lord, we pray that we will also have that time and opportunity to meet with one another and to encourage each other in the gospel. Bless our, our pastor here and our elders and deacons in their task too. And Father, we are also thankful to have uh, uh, Dathan and Katrina with us. Uh, we're excited to have Dathan uh, bring, our, bring the gospel to us this afternoon, and we pray that you also bless him, not just this afternoon, but also uh, in, in the months ahead as well, as he ministers and works here along with his wife here in Southern River Church. We also do thank you for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary, for the blessings that they are to us. We ask the Heavenly Father to strengthen the, the staff there also as they uh, are planning uh, their, their, their lessons and so forth for the coming year. And we also pray that you bless them in this year. Also care for uh, Reverend, Reverend Bredenov and his family as they're anticipating to, to go to Canada later this year where he can take up his uh, position and calling at the seminary as well. And Father, we also thank you for those who are, who are graduating uh, this year as well and that you'll bless them, and we also pray that uh, our churches here in Australia can anticipate receiving the blessing of their labors as well. And we pray that you also bless uh, Brothers Anson and, and Rodney in particular as they uh, will be going through an examination process still, and we pray for your blessing over that. Father, we also pray for our, our sister churches. Uh, we pray for our sister churches in Indonesia, and we also pray that the, uh, the synods may be able to take place as, as anticipated, uh, that the delegates may be able to make their way to the synod and uh, that it may also be a blessing uh, to the churches there. I also pray for your blessing over the, uh, the deputies from, uh, from our churches who are there. Um, and we pray, Heavenly Father, for uh, Reverend Paul, for Reverend Salmon, for Reverend Van Doan, for Brother Eric Dehan also. Uh, keep them safe, we pray. We also pray that they may uh, also be of encouragement and a blessing to the churches there. So we pray, Lord, for your blessing over the uh, the Church of the Calvinist Reformed Churches in Timor also, and bless them too in their, in their synod. Lord, we also pray for our own community. And we pray also for those who, who grieve. Uh, we pray for Julian and Mary Moon, especially now that uh, Mary's father has passed away. And Father, uh, we, when we're faced with a situation like this in all of our lives, uh, it just really hits home to us that right teaching and right gospel is of critical importance. We pray, Heavenly Father, that Julia Mary may remain firm in that faith and we thank you also for the embracing of it. But we also pray that they in their own way may lovingly also have the opportunity to share that gospel with family and friends also. Help us all in this, we pray. Also pray that you'll grant your blessing upon uh, Brother John Mahoney 
And uh, we also pray that his time in the hospital may be, be a benefit and uh, that the doctors may also be able to assist him in uh, his declining health. We also pray for uh, John and Lisa Berkler who are, who are caring for John at this time as well. And Father, we also uh, thank you for your work in the life of Ben Winnings over, over these last months as well. Uh, we, we're excited about that and also for uh, the way in which he's, he's, he's growing and his knowledge and his, his love for you. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, this may continue. And now also that he's had to go in to have a gallbladder surgery. We pray here too that he may uh, place his faith in you, his trust in you, and that also through this experience uh, that he will grow closer to you also. Lord, we uh, do pray for your blessing also upon our students. We pray for uh, United students who are, are going to Pulagaru for uh, their camp this week, and we pray that you'll grant them a, a good, a blessed, and, and an enjoyable time, and bless the, the staff and the parents who are joining them in this time as well. We thank you for the beautiful state in which we live and for the, the glory, glorious things that we can experience and for the flowers at this time of the year as well. But Lord, what a beautiful place it is to live, and, and we praise you for this. We ask, Lord, that you'll uh, also bless the thank offerings we uh, seek to give this morning, and we also pray that you'll bless the, uh, uh, the work of ministry and also that done by Pindari, and we also pray that you'll bless our relationship with, uh, with Pindari and also uh, the, the men who are going through this, this program, and, and that their time with us may uh, be a blessing to them, but, but also really a, a wonderful blessing to us when it causes us to just look at your word and look at the gospel again with fresh eyes. Bless us, we pray, also in our time of, of fellowship uh, after this morning's service and also as we greet uh, Dathan and Katrina uh, to our congregation. And Father, we pray that you'll bless them in their time with us as well. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You do have the opportunity to give you a thank offerings to the Lord. The uh, collection will be indeed for Pindari. Um, and following the collection, let's sing together from Psalm 84, verse 6. That will be our final song for this service.
after the, uh, the blessing, uh, Brother um, De Boer will be coming here and be asking you to take a seat. But before that, let us lift up our hearts unto the Lord to receive the blessing of the Lord and to go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I just want to officially welcome Dathan and Katrina this morning. I'll give you an idea how these things happen in our consistory. A, a few months ago, there was a consistory meeting. I'll quote it as accurately as I can, even though I wasn't there. What happened was there was an agenda item that Brother Ruloff Van Doan, also known as Squeak, puts on there 28th of August. That's the date. That's when Dathan's here. We have to welcome him. Yeah, yeah, that's all good. Everyone goes, that's good. We carry on. The chairman, he'll, he'll welcome him. Ten minutes later, when we're busy talking about the acts of synod or something else really important. Reverend Poppy goes, oh shoot, I won't be here on the 28th. I'll be teaching, preaching down in Mandajong or something. Somebody else will have to welcome Dathan. And so he looks around the table. Suddenly all the elders and deacons have something very important to read right in front of them. This is what always happens, so that's how I know that's what happened then. And then Squeak, he very carefully has a little look around the table. And he looks back at Reverend Poppy. He's always at Reverend Poppy's right hand. He's the right-hand man. He looks back at Reverend Poppy. He goes, Brother Jack's not here. <laughs> oh, good idea. He can do it. He can welcome Brother Dathan and his wife. Excellent. Brother Johan goes, yeah, that's a good idea. I think he won't talk as long as his father-in-law. <laughs> and then we get to coffee and cake quicker. That's when the deacons wake up and they go, coffee and cake, is it in full? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it was in the minutes as well. But anyway... I decided that meant I had about 15 minutes to, to talk just to make sure they don't appoint me to this role again. So I'm going to talk for a little while. Let me consult my notes. Something about Dathan, he's, he's, he's back in Australia. Dathan, I found out, I thought he was, was an Aussie through and through. He grew up in Australia. Back when he was in my class in year nine, he came to Wardaga. He threw mud in the mud fight, as Aussie as they come. He played cricket. But I found out he was born in Canada. And then he went back to Canada to study. Now he's back in Australia. It's all a little bit confusing. I'm not sure if he's Canadian or an Aussie or an Aussie-Canadian or a Canadian-Aussie or something like that. Not quite sure how he convinced Katrina to 
travel across the world back to Australia with him until I found out her maiden name is Wanders. Then it all made sense. I think they'll be wandering between Australia and Canada for some time. It's not the only thing I find confusing about Dathan. I'm also confused about what do we call him. He's not, he's not really a reverend yet. He's not ordained to office. Is he a vicar? Maybe he's a vicar, but we haven't officially adopted a vicariate program in Australia yet, so we can't call him Vicar Dathan or Vicar Plato. Maybe it's Brother Dathan, Pastor Dathan. Maybe it's just Pastor, Brother, Vicar, Dathan, Plato, something like that. We'll get him up here in a minute to tell us what he wants us to call him. Um, I read, I read uh, Dathan's student profile that he wrote. It's a good source of information. You can find it still if you don't remember reading it. It was published a few months ago. I found out a few things about Dathan. I found out he wanted to be a pilot. He wanted to be a fighter pilot. He wanted to hit Mach 4. He's a bit of adrenaline junkie, I think. The Lord changed, changed him. Some people might say he became a sky pilot instead. We're glad that the Lord led your life that way, Dathan. It's, uh, we're looking forward to having you doing your work here in our midst as a preacher. I also really, really enjoyed how Dathan took a big dig at his parents in that profile. In case you haven't read it, Dathan wrote about his name. His parents had a thing for Bible names, apparently. So there's Malachi, who's the faithful prophet. There's Dathan. There's Aaron, the high priest. There's Joash, the king. Of course, if you know what it says in Numbers 16 about the story of Dathan, he was not a good guy. In fact, the earth opened up and swallowed him and his whole family in judgment. He was destroyed. I'm not really sure what his parents were thinking. I don't know how his sister got her name either. Can't, couldn't find that in the scriptures. I'm with you, Dathan. I don't know what your parents were thinking. But hopefully you don't get swallowed up when you're working here. When I was looking for the name Katrina, I couldn't find out much about it, except for in 2005 there was a massive cyclone, Hurricane Katrina. hit New Orleans, some 1,800 people were killed. We just, we, whatever you say, we're happy. <laughs> we'll stay out your way. We're happy to have you here, Katrina. And um, Consistory is particularly happy to have you here because what happened over time, this decision sort of, the idea was floating around for a while. Things were happening in Canada. Things were happening here. And finally, this is going to happen. Dathan's going to come. This is fantastic. But of course, Dathan, every consistory meeting after that, Dathan's not here. I reckon Dathan could do that. 
So there's about 15 jobs that's got your name on it already. <laughs> you'll find yourself quite busy. As soon as you hit the first consistory meeting, you'll find out. There's a lot to do. But if you need any help, just ask Squeak. Squeak's here. He knows all the answers. He knows how the politics work. He knows how, cons he knows how to, dare I say, manipulate things in consistory. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's fairly public knowledge. Dathan and Katrina are expecting their first child. So we look forward to finding out what the name will be and whether this child will be an Aussie or a Canadian or a Canadian Aussie, we'll find out. Reverend Hart, before the service, said you must get them up the front, ask them all the important questions about whether they like playing golf and all that sort of thing. But anyway, I'm not going to ask you about golf, but if you don't mind to come up the front so everyone knows what you look like and then we can wish you the Lord's blessings. You can speak to us too if you if you wish. We can leave it all till the sermon this afternoon. How about we make them feel welcome? Um, I would like to say officially welcome to our congregation. Reverend Hart mentioned that, you know, cracked pots of clay and all this and we, we know that you come with weakness and that you will depend on the spirit of the Lord in your task and we do wish you the Lord's blessing in that task and we pray that it be a blessing to us and to you um, and I, I wouldn't mind if we could sing from Psalm 134 I'm just springing this on the pianist and together by singing that to wish the Lord's blessing on Dathan and Katrina. So let's stand and sing Psalm 134, verse 3. Well, if we walk out first, then everyone. 